The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. As we bring to a close the season of Epiphany this morning, one more time we'll look at we'll look at a psalm this morning. And, and this morning for Transfiguration Sunday, the psalm is Psalm 110. And it's on page 10 in your bulletins. And if you're at home this morning, joining us on Zoom, welcome. Uh, or on Facebook Live, pull out your Bibles and you'll be able to follow along there. David wrote this psalm. and he, he wrote this down by the Holy Spirit. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend his mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle. Raid in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is the word of the Lord. Swearing is a very heavy thing to do. And I'm not talking about swearing in the wide sense, like the potty mouth sense, the four-letter word, four word sense. I'm talking about swearing in the technical sense and swearing in the narrow sense of the word, like when a husband and wife distrust each other and they've lost faith in each other and the husband says to the wife, I swear to you, that kind of swearing. It's a, it's a heavy kind of swearing or like the kind of swearing where you walk into your lawyer's office and there's a narrative, a type narrative sitting on the desk there, an affidavit. And you sign the bottom of it to give your testimony with all the credibility that you can possibly muster. This is the kind of swearing that we're talking about here this morning. I, I swear to you. And that's what God says in this psalm. He says, I swear it to you, an oath. You know, I, I search for the right kind of language to, to talk about the word that God gives to us here in Psalm 110. And really, the psalm's very simple when it comes right down to it. There's two statements from God, two declarations. One sits 
right there in verse one, and it's nestled between two little commas and or apostrophes or whatever they're called, quotation marks. That's what they're called. I lost the word for a second. And I searched for the right language. What, what are we going to call these, these statements, these declarations that sit right there in verse one and verse four? And I thought about the word oracle. We could have called them oracles, but, but it sounded too much like the matrix to me. So, so then I thought, well, maybe we can call these declarations from God, we, we, we could call them prophecies, but that seemed too light of a word to me, like too technical of a word. So the word that came to me, the, the right word seemed to be that these are God's sworn statements. He's swearing to us with his whole person who never changes. And with his perfect word, the two unchangeable things that never lie. I swear to you, he says. And I'm not the only one that sees it this way, actually, by the way. It, I mean, this isn't even a sidelight. The New Testament authors knew this about Psalm 110, that this is God's perfect sworn statement to us. In fact, of all the Old Testament, Psalm 110 is the most quoted. You know how many times it's quoted in the New Testament? 17 times. It's a big deal. It's alluded to at least 30 times. Like the, the New Testament authors, they, they were like, wow, this is this, this psalm of all the psalms. Like this is, this is the psalm that people need to hear about. This is God's sworn statement to us. It's not just the New Testament authors, though. It's Jesus himself. Jesus himself quotes this psalm as proof that he is not only David's son, as the hymn says, but David's Lord. This is proof of Jesus' deity. Jesus himself says it. And Luther, at the time of the Reformation, Luther said this. He said, this psalm is the main one. You, you want to know who Jesus is? You want him transfigured before your eyes? then you need to know what Psalm 110 says about the Christ. And that's what I want you to hear this morning, so that you may believe and not doubt that you would hear these two sworn statements from God and know two simple truths about the Christ. Two simple truths, and here they are. He has total sovereignty. And he offers total salvation. God swears it to you. Look at what he says in his first foreign statement. Look at verse one with me. And I'm going to read it because this is a carefully crafted statement and prepared for us. Verse one. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. End quote. It's a messianic psalm. 
Everybody says it, including the Jews, until Christ came, by the way. When Christ came, the opinion changed. But even the Jews knew that this was a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that has Christ at the heart of it. And so here, if we want to transfigure Jesus and reveal him for ourselves, we need to get one simple truth about the Messiah, about Christ Jesus and who he is, that he's not nice. And he's not cuddly. Not even a little bit. Especially for the enemies. I mean, this is, you might say, in, in so many ways, this is, this is absolutely a provocative image. I mean, the main image here is that Jesus takes the enemies and he fashions them in such a way that they become a piece of furniture. That they become like an ottoman in the living room. That they become a footstool. So you, you got to imagine someone, they're watching the big game. And instead of a piece of furniture that's under their feet, he's got the enemies there. This is not a nice Jesus. And this is not a cuddly Jesus. In, in, in fact, if you look at all the descriptors about Jesus, you might be a little bit upset like, who is this Jesus? Because he's going out with his iron scepter and he's ruling in the midst of his enemies. And he goes out and he destroys people and the bodies are mounting up. There's a pile of corpses here. This is no nice and cuddly Jesus. This is a Jesus who has unmistakable, total, complete dominion and sovereignty. And you know, I think, I think that we at least need to get that in our culture today. Because I think sometimes we misunderstand who Jesus is. And, and we, we have this idea in our heads that he's nice and cuddly, but the, the scriptures never call him that. We could call Jesus holy. He is. We can call him good. And there's no doubt about that. We can call him a peacemaker. And he is the greatest one. Bringing peace between God and man. We, we can call him gentle. We, we can call him all kinds of different things. The gifts that the spirit. But we would never call him nice and cuddly. Never, ever. It reminds me, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you've seen the movie. Maybe you read the book. And there's this moment where Susan wants to know something about Aslan, the lion, in this fantastical world that, that C.S. Lewis writes about, Aslan the king. And Susan asks the beaver this. The exchange goes like this about Aslan, she asks, is he quite safe? I shall rather feel, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And here we're meeting the king. 
We're meeting the king who takes the enemies of his people and he fashions them into furniture or ottomans and he makes them into a footstool and he piles up dead bodies all for the sake of his people. I'm unpacking this for you because this is a good news, bad news kind of situation. The bad news is that if you oppose him, if you oppose the one revealed on the mountain, he will end you. He will fashion you into a footstool because he loves his people. The good news is that if you belong to him, if you've been baptized into his name and you cling to him in faith and find refuge in him, you have a good refuge. I'll ask you this. Do you even want a nice and cuddly Jesus? Do you really? Do you want Jesus to say to your cancer, just give the cancer a hug because you're so nice? Or do you want Jesus to eradicate it and destroy it? When evil comes into your land and into your world, do you, do you want Jesus to embrace it and say, oh, that's okay, let's all get together and sing, I don't know, a song? Or do you want him to fight for you? Just looking at the news this week. What do you think Ukraine wants? Does Ukraine want Jesus to just give Putin a hug or something? Or do you want, does Ukraine want a warrior who cares so deeply about his people that he will end evil? See, Jesus is good, but he's a warrior. And he will end evil. I mean, that is exactly what he did by laying down his life for us, he didn't, he didn't go up to death and say, hey, death, it's okay, just keep killing people. He, by his victorious resurrection from the dead, he, he took a dagger and he stabbed it into the heart of death. And he killed death. Isn't that deep down what we all want? A God with total and complete sovereignty. And if that's what you want, that's what you got. He swears it to you. That's what Psalm 110 says. He swears it to you, but he's not just totally sovereign. The Psalm actually goes on to say that he's actually also totally saving. And you might notice that this right here is at the, this is at the heart of the Psalm because now, for a second, the psalmist slows down, and he introduces things. And I'm just going to read this again, because this is, there's so much gravity here and seriousness about this written text. He says this, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You know, I keep thinking about that, like how often I change my mind. What if God was like that? That he just changed his mind. <laughs> does not change his mind. And he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
with the last sworn statement, we were, we were brought into this, this world of an image with a, with a footstool and with a pile of dead bodies, and we saw the total sovereignty of Christ. But here we're, we're invited into one of the shortest stories of the Old Testament. Like, look it up later in Genesis chapter 14, and you'll hear the story of Melchizedek, and it's just three verses long. And it's, it's an incredible story. Abraham defeats his enemies, and out of nowhere, like literally out of nowhere, this, this guy, the king of Salem, he shows up, and Abraham offers him a tithe. And then he disappears, just like that. Never appears again in the whole Old Testament, except for here. No beginning and, and no end. Obviously greater than Abraham somehow. We don't know how, but greater than Abraham, because here's Abraham giving him a tithe, worshiping the most holy God. Jesus is like that. No beginning, no end. A forever priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. Once, once he hung on a cross and he made sacrifice for every single sin that ever was committed and ever would be committed, but forever, forever, he intercedes for us before God. Forever is a big word and an important word. Blogger, blogger named Tim Urban helped me to think about how important this truth is that Jesus' priesthood lasts forever. And he, he wrote about this thing that he calls depressing math. He, he did math like this. He said he loves to visit the natural, um, the American Museum of Natural History. So since 2009, and this is up to today, he has gone there three times, he says. Now here's the depressing math. In the rest of his life, if he stays on that pace, he will go there just 12 more times before he dies. So every time he goes, he just counts down. I got only 11 more times that I'm going to go here. Just 10 more times. He does a little bit more depressing math. The next depressing math that he did was this. He says he loves going to the movies. And he goes to the movies on average twice a year. Okay. He says that if he stays on that pace, that he will go to the movie theater just 53 more times in his life. He's counting down. Here's maybe the most depressing math of all. He, said, he talked about how many more in-person days he'll spend with his parents. So he spent 18 of them before he went off to college. 18 in-person days with his parents. He figures that over the rest of his life, he lives and they live to be a certain age, that he will have just one more year total in person with his parents. Which means that when he wrote this article, he probably has less than 100 days to spend with his parents. 
He's counting down. And I, I think a lot of times, the point is this, that a lot of times we think that our lives just go on forever, forever and ever. And they don't. And what if, what if the priesthood of Jesus was mortal? And that there came a time where he was done interceding before the Father for us because he died. What, what, if, it, what if his priesthood was like Aaron's priesthood full of corrupt priests and priests who ultimately died and perished and could no longer make the sacrifice or make the intercession? But it's not. And the, the, the word forever is such a huge word. Jesus never stops interceding for us. There's never going to be a day where, where Jesus doesn't show up at God's right hand on our behalf. And that is the best of news because we just keep on sinning. And that is why the writer of the Hebrews said this. Therefore, he is able to save completely. I love that word. Completely. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There it is. Total sovereignty. Total salvation. God swears it to you. Like, it, it, with all of human language, is there a way to, to become more serious and more grave about what you're saying? He swears it to you. He says it to you on oath with his unbreakable word and his person that never changes. Those two unchangeable truths about God, that he has everything under control. And everything comes underneath his feet. And that he doesn't want you to doubt even for a second that every single one of your sins are paid for. A day will never come that he stops interceding for you at God's right hand. Total salvation. Total sovereignty. This is when, what God swears to you. Amen.